Okay, everybody. Parshas Bahar B'chukosai. Uh, obviously, a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. Uh, Parshas Bahar talks <coughs> about, at the beginning of the Parsha, talks about Shemitah and Yovel. Um, and then a bunch of random alakos that actually Rashi goes to, goes takes the trouble to explain uh, that basically this will, this it's a promise that it will happen eventually if a person doesn't keep Shemitah and Yovel. Again, Shemitah and Yovel we'll talk about in a few minutes, but uh, the whole, whole concept of uh, of resting and not working the land and trusting in Kosh Baruch Hu, Right, to bring Parnassah. Uh so then the halakhas that we have it towards till the end of Parshat Bahar basically is a downward spiral if you don't keep <coughs> those uh, those halakhas, right? Rashi explained that if you don't keep Shemitah Yovel, you have to sell your assets, right? There's the whole halakhas of of selling things. If you still don't do tshuva, you have to sell your ancestral properties, right? The inheritance plots or your home, which the psukim talk about. He'll have to borrow with interest, right? He'll have to perhaps sell himself as a Hebrew slave, or a, a, worse, as a slave to a guy, which might take him make take him to Chutzlaretz and make him uh, over to Vodazara, right? So that's, that's the downward spiral towards the end of Parshas Bahar. So basically, Parshas Bahar, at least in this view, is pretty much entirely about uh, Shemitah and the possible results from not keeping Shemitah. Bechukosai uh, is basically also in pretty not entirely one note, but basically. Uh, the Torah, the, the, the basically the brachos and the klalos. If you in if you keep my mitzvot, then a bunch of brachos the Torah lists of all these wonderful physical blessings that a kosh will give us. And if you don't keep our mitzvot, keep my mitzvot. So then the Torah, right, the shorter of the two Torah, the other one is in Parshas Kisavo, um, and a list of uh, terrible things that will happen if things don't work out. The Torah then shifts and talks about <coughs> Erechen and Tumura. Uh, Erechen is a gift of certain value uh, to the base. I mean, there's a person that says, I want to give the value of, uh, you know, of, a, of this guy, depending on how you word it. Either you would you sell that guy, at the, at the, you don't really sell him, but you'd evaluate him on the marketplace. Or in certain scenarios, <coughs> there's a fixed value for whoever you promise to give the value of the base. Uh, Tumura is the attempt to shift uh, Kedusha from one korban to the next. Uh, we have the halakhas of redeeming houses and fields and property that are designated to be semikdash. And finally, the last thing that Parsha talks about uh, is Meiser Behema. Before I get to the Parsha, though, uh, I do want to tell a story because it is, uh, it, you'll see it'll relate to, to the Parsha a little bit. Um, but it is a, just an unbelievable story that happened to me last Friday. Um, and uh, really, really, it, the reason I want to tell it over because it really highlights a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Um, on these Parsha Shirim, right, these Yonim that, uh, that Rav Melech Peterman brings out, etc., etc., about Imun and Bitochon. So anyway, I'll try and cut it as short as I can. <coughs> My wife bought a, uh, a painting, uh, a small, you know, a small painting to, or a pretty big painting, actually, but she, she bought a painting to hang in, in the house, um, and I had hung it, right, in a, in a way that was not so good. I mean, I put it on some, like, some nails and stuff, and it was big enough to the point where I was nervous it was going to it was going to fall off. So I took it down, uh, and a little bit frustrated that I wasn't able to figure out how to get it up there because I don't have a drill or whatever. I'm not so good at hanging things. Anyway, um, so in when I took it down, uh, I happened to smash a vase that my wife liked very much. So in addition to being very apologetic, I was very frustrated. Um, so frustrated, in fact, that I was, I was I was working on like three hours of sleep last Friday, last Arab Shabbos. So I, as I was exhausted and frustrated, it was like two in the afternoon or something like that. And, I'm, and I, we had basically done all the stuff we needed for Shabbos, so I basically said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a take a nap a little bit, lie down, so I could be uh, you know up for Shabbos later. Of course, sure enough, I I didn't really sleep much. I got up you know about 15, 20 minutes later, uh, and I got up, 
just still frustrated, still agitated that I couldn't put the painting up, that I smashed the thing or whatever, that just not in a good frame of mind. And I decided just to blow, not to blow off some steam, but just to kind of like, because I had all this pent up energy, I decided to take out this massive plant when we moved into this apartment about uh, nine months ago or eight months ago, whatever it is. Uh, there was this massive potted plant in the corner of the dining room. And I had never taken it out because frankly, because it's, it's so big. Uh, it's a massive bowl almost. And it just like growing like one stalk of like, I don't know, bamboo or something. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to schlep this out. It was so heavy. I couldn't even carry it. I just like rolled it over uh, on the sides, uh, on the side of the street and on the sidewalk. And finally I got it to the garbage and I picked it up and I put it down next to the garbage because that's what you do over here in Michelin. I kind of, if you want to stuff to throw out, you just kind of leave big stuff next to the garbage. And they have, a, not the garbage truck, but they have somebody else to come and, and take it away. So basically I dropped it at the garbage, um, you know, uh, you know, just like kind of next to it. And the moment I dropped it there, literally the, the second I put it down or I kind of like affixed it next to the garbage, I heard a honk behind me, beep, beep. And I turn around and it's some, you know, smiley, you know, 55, 60 year old Israeli leaning out of like a, you know, a Chevy, Chevy Hilux or like a, some sort of like, you know, small pickup truck. Uh, and he goes, are you throwing that out? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, great, I'll take it. And I'm like, what do you mean you'll take it? This is like a, a potted plant that has been I mean, watered it like maybe twice in like the last six months. Like, why would you want this massive thing? Meanwhile, he's serious. He gets out of the car, pull, opens up his back trunk. He's like, it's heavy? Help me, help me, help me lift it. I'm like, okay. So I pick it up and put it in his truck. And then he tells me, I daven all the time for a shem to send me plants. And this is bamboo. And I'm like, I guess, I think so. I don't know. He's like, great, amazing. And I just like, I stood, almost like stood there like floored because just realized what just happened. Kosh Baruch Hu organized all those things in my house to go wrong just so this guy could get a plant that he davened for. Think about how many things are in play here. First of all, all that all that stuff that happened to me, that annoying stuff. I put up the painting. Painting wouldn't. It wasn't comf comfortable with it. It was like it was over the the candles. I wasn't. I was nervous it would fall down. And took the painting down. Knocked over the vase. Got all frustrated. Lay down. Couldn't sleep. Got back up. Stalked around the house. Figured you know what? I'm taking this plant out. I, I hadn't taken that plant out in nine months. Uh, I had no plans to take that plant out on erev Shabbos. Coach Barco orchestrated all of those things just so I could show up at the garbage at the exact moment this dude is driving by. Because if I show up two seconds later, he's not picking up the plant. If I put it out three hours earlier or on another day, who knows if he drives by. Coach Barco orchestrated all of those things just so this guy who davened for a plant, for him to get exactly what he davened for at that exact moment, which is just so mind-blowing on so many levels. First of all, we talk about all the time the kochat we undersell the kachatfila. What is this guy davening for? Think about it, he's probably not sitting there tearing sackcloth, fasting, praying to God, please send me plants. And he probably mentions it in Shmakolainu for two seconds, or he says it to him. I don't know. At most, he says it back to him, or just thinks about it out loud. I mean, he, clearly not a very powerful, very intense prayer. Yet you see that Kosh Baruch Hu arranged all this random stuff to happen so that he could get his plant. Second of all, all the annoying things that happened to me were really, if you look at it objectively, were really 
just, you know, kind of Hashem orchestrating things around the scenes for whatever reason. And they needed to, you know, break that vase and and be unsuccessful at hanging the thing and getting a little frustrated. I didn't realize it in the moment, but every, after the fact, looking back, Kosh organized all those things, right, just to fulfill, you know, whatever was necessary to happen. So it, 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 looking back, if I had been able to realize that in the moment, right, the moment you realize that, all your frustration peels away, right? I wasn't frustrated afterwards. I was more just like my jaw was hanging open. That that was th- those many steps Kosh Baruch had taken just to make sure this guy got what he what he davened for. So Kal Vachomer, Ben Benosho Kal Vachomer with like important things, right? With like Shiduchim and Parnasa and like, you know, spirituality. So Kosh Baruch was arranging all these things behind the scenes, even to people that, you know, we don't necessarily know at the moment. Or, or guy, I had never met that guy before in my life. All these stuff is happening behind the scenes and it's our job just to have Muni Bidachim and everything's going to be fine. And Kosh Baruch was taking care of things behind the scenes. We don't understand any of it. Obviously, why would I understand? Why in the world would breaking a vase, taking a nap, not being able to sleep, waking up? Why would any of that be Kashur? Why would any of that be re- related uh, to this guy? And yet, sure enough, right, that's exactly the point. So a lot of a lot of Moshe there. I, well, well, we may come back to that at the end, but let, let's get let's get into the Parsha because this is a Parsha Shmos. Parsha's Bahar, um, at, this, at the end of the Parsha, let's start with the end of the Parsha's Bahar and we'll work our way back to the beginning. The end of the Parsha, um, the Parsha's Bahar mentions a couple of times, right? The concept of being in Eved Hashem. The concept of being Eved Hashem. Pazik says, Ki Avadaihim, Asher Tzesis, Osameris Mitzrayim. Hashem, right? It calls Bnei Yisrael Avadai, my servants. <coughs> and then when he talks about the, the, the Ben Ivri, oh, I'm sorry, a, a, a Jew who was bought by a guy as an Eved, Pazik says also, you have to go redeem him, you have to kind of get him out of there. Kili Bnei Yisrael Avadim. Because B'nai Israel are my servants, they are my servants. Right? What is this concept of being an Eved Hashem, of being a, a servant of a Kosh Baruch right? It was the greatest compliment that Kosh Baruch called Moshe Rabbeinu, Eved, and Eved Hashem. Like Avdi Kalev, he called my servant Kalev. That's my part, part of one of the greatest praises that Kosh Baruch can give us. What is this? Meaning it sounds, if you translate it into English, right, a servant or a, an Evid is a slave, right? A slave of God. It's In English it sounds depressing, right? That we're born into bondage and then sometimes maybe some of us have that association, right? We know the word Evid from Mitzrayim, that Jews were in bondage. They were slaves, they couldn't do, you know, they were oppressed, etc. So when we hear that we're supposed to be an Evid Hashem, is that like something where we can't escape? Or maybe it's something... Uh, much more uplifting. So let's let's consider the following, right? It's, it's obviously an evid does not have control of their time, right? An evid is not chayiv. You see all over the mishnayos, right? An evid is chayiv mitzvos just like uh, women and children because he, he doesn't have any uh, time. He's he's potter and time bound mitzvos mitzvos decisions my grandma because he's obligated to somebody else, right? He has to be ready to fulfill his master's request, right? At any time, right? The moment he gets up, the moment he goes to bed, he has to be available. So it's logical. It's logical. It makes sense. Therefore, I mean, what the psukim are telling us that an evid can't have two masters, right? Obviously, if he's busy shopping for one guy, how can he be doing the laundry for somebody else? Right? It's literally impossible for him to be equally available to two people at the same time. So that's what the Svasamis explains on the post. That the reason that we have a mitzvah to redeem a Jew who's sold to a guy is because this Jew has a master already, or more more appropriate, right? A master right? like a, with a capital M, right? He, he, this Jew has already promised his time and energy to Kosh Baruch Hu. If he's working for a non-Jew, his ability to serve a Kosh Baruch Hu obviously dissipates. So that's a mitzvah to redeem him. But, but even more, right? Chazal already pointed out that there's a redundancy, maybe you noticed, I didn't mention it then, but there's a, there's a redundancy in the second pasuk. Pasuk there says, Ki li b'nei Yisrael avadim avadai him. Yeah, b'nei Yisrael are my servants, 
They are my servants. So why would it say that? So Chazal explained that the first part of the Pazak means that B'nai Yisrael are Kadosh Mi Betem. Kili B'nai Yisrael Avadim, that B'nai Yisrael are holy from the time that they are born. Right? And Eved Hashem, again, just through a couple of a couple of sources that we, we've been just mentioning, it doesn't mean that necessarily that we are born into bondage. We're, we have a holiness, we have a Kedusha, right? We, we talk about that Kedusha to you means set aside, set apart, that we are special. So, so let's with that explanation, with that kind of focus, right, there's a special holiness involved. It's a privilege. So let's 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 dive a little deeper. <coughs> Baruch Alevi Epstein has a commentary on the Torah Tzimimah. Pesuk in Dvarim, Perak Yudal, Pesuk Aleph says, "Banim Atayim." Pesuk that you may be familiar with, "Banim Atayim Lashem Alokecha." Moshe is speaking to Bnei Yisrael. He says, "You are sons to a Kadosh Baruch Hu." right, brings the Gemara above Basra, where the Gemara quotes an argument, pretty well known, I guess, uh, talked about during Sefirus Omer, certainly, when we talk about Rabbi Akiva, uh, pretty well known argument between Rabbi Akiva and Ternus Rufus. Ternus Rufus was the general at the time uh, of, of the destruction of Yisamidosh, uh, or thereabouts, right, so they're arguing, right, whether it's proper, over there, over there in the Gemara, they argue whether it's proper for B'nai Shal to, to give tzedakah. Right? Is it proper to give tzedakah? Right? Who says that? Kosh made someone poor. Who says it's your job to give him money? Right, so now, regardless of the, the details of the, of the argument, but Turnus Rufus over there argues that since Bnei Yisrael are called Avodim, right, that's his proof why it's not appropriate to give tzedakah. Since they're called an Evan Hashem, it's not appropriate to give tzedakah. Rabbi Kiva comes back and says, no, Bnei Yisrael are called Banim. And therefore, it is proper to give tzedakah. And so Turnus Rufus then comes back and he, he kind of like fashions himself a London and says, wait a minute, I'll give you a Joshua. Right, you guys are only called children in one pasuk. Right, you're also called avadim in another pasuk. Right, you call it, uh, this week's parsha. So when are you sons and when are you avadim? Right, when you're doing so, Turnus Rufus suggests when you're doing when you're doing God's will, then you're called banim. If you're not doing God's will, then you're called avadim. What does Rabbi Akiva say back? Rabbi Akiva doesn't say anything. He doesn't come back with any of that above logic. He just brings a positive about tzedakah always being a virtue. So does Rabbi Kiva agree with that? He doesn't respond to it. So perhaps, again, maybe that's what Rabbi Kiva holds. Maybe Thomas Rufus was right. And Rabbi Kiva just quoted a drasha, just quoted a pasuk to kind of disprove him because, listen, if there's a pasuk, there's a pasuk. Again, after all, the Gemara Kedushin says, the pasuk quotes that pasuk in Dvarim, Banim Atem Hashem Elokeichem, Whenever you're acting like sons, you're called sons. When you're not acting like sons, then you're not called banim. That's Rabbi Yehuda's shita. The marriage says, regardless, we're called banim, but Rabbi Yehuda seems to say, if we're doing what Hashem wants, we're called sons. And uh, if we're not, then we're not called sons. So maybe Rabbi Kiva was right. Maybe Rabbi Yehuda agrees to return us Rufus. To explain, but he said, obviously not. I Meaning, Rabbi Kiva didn't respond to Turnus Rufus because it was ridiculous. Because the whole concept of being an Evid right, is not derogatory, it's not negative, right? it's not an opposite of a son. Right? Being an Evid Hashem is not the, the, the negative of being a, a son of a Kosh Baruch. There's no contradiction whatsoever. Right? He says, that it is a valuable and lofty title to be called. And Eved Hashem. I. What about the Gemara Kedushin? Doesn't Rabbi Yehuda seem to support Turnus Rufus? So, no, of course not, because Rabbi Yehuda, if you noticed, the Gemara Kedushin doesn't mention the word Eved. 
at all. It just says when we're doing it, Ritzor Hashem Makom, then we're considered Hashem's sons. If we're not, then we're not called his sons. But the concept of being an Evid is never is not not even a question. Rabbi Yehuda is not using an Evid Hashem to describe a negative situation. Being an Evid Hashem is only praiseworthy. It's only a positive in nature. So Rabbi Akiva laughed off Turnus Rufus when he said the Jews are avadim when they're not doing Ritzor Hashem Makom. Because the idea of being a slave, yeah, to a guy like, like to a Roman like Turnus Rufus. Yeah, to being a slave is the worst thing you can be. When you have no freedom, you can't do anything. But the idea of being an Evan Hashem, right, that is the highest praise a person can get. Why is that? Because when a person fulfills the mitzvah Hashem, right, when he keeps the Torah, he controls his physical self, right? And you allow your spirit to shine through, right? That's the, that's the goal. The goal is to control ourselves in this physical world, and right, and do the mitzvah, and live a holy life in a physical world. Right? When you allow your neshama to shine through, that's the holiest level a person can attain. And that's what's called an Evan Hashem. It's because we're serving a Kosh Baruch Hu, and therefore we're not doing all the things that perhaps our body would want us to do. And we're not serving our body, we're serving a Kosh Baruch Hu. So that brings us back to the beginning of the Parsha. What's the connection between being an Evan Hashem at the end of the Parsha and the beginning of the Parsha, which talks about Shemitah? So there's a well-known Rashi in the first Parsha of the Parsha. Parsha says, right, by the Hashem of Moshe, Behar Sinai Lamor. Right, that's how you know, the, that's the, part, the name of Parsha's Behar. It comes from that pasuk because it doesn't say "Vayidber Hashem Moshe anymore," which it says throughout the Torah. It says "Vayidber Hashem Moshe Behar Sinai anymore." So why does it say that? So Rashi explains, right? Because uh, what's the point? Why do we mention Shemitah by Har Sinai? Why do we mention Har Sinai by Shemitah? Really, is more accurate. Follow call mitzvahs never be Sinai, right? Obviously, all the psukim were written, all the mitzvahs were, were told over to Moshe Har Sinai. So why are we singling out Shemitah? Right, just like says Rashi, just like all the details of Shemitah were said at our Sinai, like we delineate right here, right? You have all the details. So do all the details of all the mitzvos were said at Sinai. And and that's exactly again, obviously there's a lot of ink spilled on that Rashi, but that if I would I would posit that that's a connection between Nevi Hashem and Shemitah, because we are all accustomed to doing mitzvos. But as many of us will readily admit, right, the details are not always so important to us. Right? We'll put on tefillin, but exactly where the boxes are, the way the straps are wrapped, maybe the room we put the tefillin on, that's a halacha. You're supposed to put on tefillin in a different room and go into the place where you're going to daven, as if you're walking in and ready to roll. That's, uh, those details, maybe we're not so careful. Right? As they, they say, the proof is in the pudding, the proof is in the details. Right? What happens if a servant disregards the details? Right, a master asks for tea. Servant brings him piping hot tea in his favorite mug, except that the master wanted iced tea. So the whole effort is a waste. It's all it's not, it's a completely different drink. So Kosh Baruch Hu reminds us the details are, impor- are important. Right, they are vital. They are they are crucial to every mitzvah, and that's what's about being Eved Hashem. When you pay attention to the details, that's you perform the mitzvah in the exact way Kosh Baruch Hu intended, and that's how an Eved performs his tasks. So he doesn't miss any details. He doesn't bring the red shirt when the master wanted the, ro- the white shirt. But he does even the most minutia uh, because he's dedicated and, and to fulfilling exactly what the will of the master wants. I, f- I forgot uh, which band it was, but I remember reading back in the day that one of the bands in, uh, in popular in the 80s and 90s used to always insist on only brown M&Ms in a bowl in their locker room or whatever. And everybody thought they were crazy. And then until they explained... 
I forget exactly the details, but I think it came out because at, the, at that time, I think the story was because there was a time there was a stage collapse and a bunch of people got got hurt or killed. Rahman well, I don't know if it was Jews, but whatever. I also, okay, Rahman a bunch of people got killed. Uh, so I think the story came out that they said, yeah, if you can't give us the details of just brown M&Ms, how are we trusting you with all the other details of our show? Which are very important with the speakers and the audio and the smoke and the and, you know and this safety and that safety. If you can't give us the details that we're asking for, right? Even they, if they make no sense, or well, we can't trust you with all the other details that go on in the show. And that, that was the the Indian. So that's the idea that we have you right? We should strive for the, the level. <coughs> excuse me, of being an Eved Hashem, paying attention to the details as best we can. Okay, lots of perushim why the Torah starts off Parsha Shemitah with Parsha Bahar. With the Bahar Sinai, as we, as we mentioned before. So let's run through a couple of them. We already mentioned Rashi. It says it means that just like all the details of, of Shemitah, which we list here, were said at Har Sinai, so too all the mitzvahs were said at Har Sinai. The obvious question with that, the obvious problem with that, is that why in the world uh, are we choosing Shemitah uh, to tell us that? I mean, you could have chosen any mitzvah, right? Given all of the details of, I don't know, Hilcha Shabbos, even though that would probably take an extra book. Uh, you know, what, why do we specifically take uh, Shemitah uh, to tell us that all the mitzvahs were said at Sinai? So the Arachayim, well, maybe several explanations, but the Arachayim explains that this is to show, right, parenthetically, the fascinating, powerful uh, vort that's very relevant nowadays, that we are only Zoha to Eretz Yisrael if we perform all the protos and the protosev, the all the details, if we do all the details of the mitzvahs. Right? And the only reason, says the Arachayim, that we are Zoha to Eretz Yisrael. Right, is because of the Torah, right? Not because we're because of Kodesh Baruch Hu promised us and gave it to us as a matana, right? Not because we're indigenous to the land or whatever it is. And, you know, if that was the reason, so you should be giving it to the Kananim or whatever, whoever was there first. They were technically there first, so no, we get it because of Kodesh Baruch Hu gave it to us as a matana, right? That's a, one of the first Rashi's on the on the Torah. That's why we start with Brachis. Okay, so Kodesh Baruch Hu created the world and He gave us Eretz Yisrael as a response to the Goyim. So that says Arachai, and that's why Kosh Baruch Hu chose to save Har Sinai by Shemitah specifically, because just like we keep the Torah, that's why we are Shaykh to Shemitah. Shemitah obviously only Shaykh to Eretz Yisrael. The Rabban's approach, uh, different, uh, because he points out that if you notice the last two words of Sefer Vayikra, right after the entire Tokacha, is also Bahar Sinai. Right? These are the things that Moshe said, uh, 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 Bahar Sinai. That's, that's how Vayikra ends, right? You'll notice when we say Chazak Chazak. So Rabban says that, that since the Jews sinned at the Chet Ego, Kosh Baruch had to forge a new bris with Am Yisrael. So the Torah had to reinforce all the same laws, it had to reinforce that all the same laws that we learned in Har Sinai, right, are all still in play, right, that the bris is still the same. And that's why he writes, again, Bahar Sinai, right, just kind of to show that, uh, that, okay, that all these things still ring true, even though all that were said at Har Sinai before Chet Ego, right, all of this is, is, is still working. But Rav Baruch Simon explains in his Sefer Imre Baruch, Along the following lines, that the Ibn Ezra writes that to understand Shemitah, right, it's not the Bahar Sinai we should focus on, but the Shabbos Lashem. Again, just to switch the focus in the Pazuk a little bit, right, the Pazuk says, right, da, 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 keep Shemitah, keep Shemitah, yeah, 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 Saharet, Shabbos Lashem, right, and the land will rest a Shabbos for Hashem. So he, so he explains that just like it says by Shabbos, the phrase Kodesh Lashem, right, by the Pazukim in Shemos Perik Tezayin, Pazuk Chav Gimel, to describe Shabbos. As being Kodesh Lashem, and then Yushami writes, that means that we should use the, the Shabbos and the Chagim and the Yomtif to learn Torah. So to Shemitah, the point of Shemitah is a vacation to learn Torah. Not to head off to Thailand, not to go to Tahiti, 
right? To sit and learn Torah. And that's what the measure says. Measure says not here, but in Bereshis Rabbah and Parak Mevav, it says exactly this. That when Bnei Israel went to Eretz Yisrael, the Torah went to Kosh Baruch and said, if a Jew goes to plant his vineyard and this Jew goes to plant his field, what's going to happen to me? Right? Ostensibly, the Jews were learning Torah the entire time in the Midbar. So the Torah was nervous. Who's going to learn Torah? So Kosh Baruch said back to the Torah, don't worry, I give them Shabbos to be free to learn Torah. And, and the Medrash says, this is also the reason for Shemitah. So people can have a year to learn without distractions, without quiet, without worry. Uh, and sit and, uh, and Kosh Baruch provides. Right? Kosh Baruch promises to give three years of bracha starting in the sixth year. Don't worry, I'll take care of you. Sixth, seventh, and eighth year, you'll be fine. You just sit and learn Torah during Shemitah. And I've mentioned again several times in this uh, podcast, but always good to, to Chazer. I heard many, many times from my Rebbe, Rebbe Yonason Sachs, how the way a person spends their free time, right, informs on all the excuses they make during their busy time, right? Ah, a person has no time to learn or, or do chesed or do mitzvahs because they're, I don't know, studying, working, dating, etc. No problem. Totally legit. But once those stresses or busyness falls away, not business, but busyness falls away, so then what do you do? Then 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 how do you use your time? So if you go and learn or do chesed or, or whatever, etc., so fantastic. But if you don't, so then all those excuses fall away, fall to the wayside, right? And the lack of learning during the time we were busy is revealed for what it truly is, right? Just either laziness or whatever it is, or a lack of limit or whatever, lack of seriousness. If you don't learn when you're free, so then all the excuses you had when you're not free, right, fall by the wayside. This is exactly the point of Shemitah, that when you have a year off, right, a farmer is working six years, no problem. Got to make a parnasa, got to get food. Totally understandable. But in Shemitah, right, how do you use your time? Right, when you're free on Shabbos and Yantif, what do you use that for? Right, is it for, I don't know, again, not, not that uh, other activities on Shabbos are not worthwhile. Obviously, we have meals, we have family time. Also, right, Karasa Shabbos Oneg, you're supposed to enjoy yourself. I'm not saying you should just sit and, you know, learn for 25 hours straight. But... If you're sitting and learning when you have some free time, so then says, yeah, okay, so all the excuses you made when you were studying or et cetera, right, are totally legit. But if you don't, so then those excuses kind of kind of fall away. Okay, let's shift to Parshish Bukhokosai. Bukhokosai is famous for uh, for the first of the two tokachas, um, and kind of not so popular to dwell on, even though I'm not sure why, right, is the, the fantastic brachos that exist at the beginning Right of uh, of the Torah, it's Kedai just to read them. Right, breasts of Parnassa and and uh, children and and safety from your enemies and victory in war and and etc. etc. The Torah says very clearly, right, with the exact same phrase by the Brokos and the Klolos, in terms of what these things come from. Right, it's very clearly if you read the Psukim, just a cursory glance, that these are two sides of the same coin, uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, and then it says, "In b'zuchukasai, what is it? Lo telichu, something like that. In It's called mitzvahsayila, right? The first pasuk in the parsha, "In b'zuchukasai telichu, v'smitzvahsai tishmeru v'asisamosam." Right? If you keep my mitzvahs and you and you do them, again, obviously the redundancy has to be dealt with. But okay, fine. We'll talk about it in a second. Right, and then it says, "In b'zuchukasai," and then it lists all the brachos. And then after the brachos are done, then it says the opposite. If in b'zuchukasai, if you don't listen to me. And you don't do these mitzvahs, so then you have all the clothes. So these are two sides of the same coin. So the first thing to point out is that there really is no middle ground. Right? A lot of us kind of like feel very comfortable doing some mitzvahs, doing not, not other mitzvahs, kind of picking and choosing. Uh, famous phrase, I don't hold of that. You know, like, like being very comfortable in our own form uh, of Yiddishkeit. And there really is no middle ground. There is 
if you do the mitzvahs, then bracha. If you don't do the mitzvahs, uh, then the Kosh Baruch will send things to kind of make us do the mitzvahs. Uh, so, just so what? So what? What exactly is it? As we pointed out, that the the first pasuk. Right, if you, it literally means if you walk in my chukim, chukos, and if you do my mitzvos, you tishmeru, you guard my mitzvos and you do them. What does that mean? So Rashi on that puzzle again, moderately well known Rashi. So he points out, what do you, what is, what's going on over here? He says yachol zekima mitzvos. You might have thought that when it says vitz mitzvos tishmeru, I should keep my mitzvos. Right, she, she, you might have thought that is referring to keeping mitzvos. Problem is, right? mitzvos amor. We already mentioned that already because mani mekayim Right? What do you mean? What What does b'chugos aitelechu mean? Right? So that's referring to keeping the mitzvos. Says Rashi. What's therefore that's mitzvos aitishmoru that you should keep my mitzvos? Shetiyu amelim batora that you should be amelim batora. You should be working and laboring. Right, in the Torah. And Rashi repeats it again by that second puzzle, right, if you don't listen to me, and you don't do all the mitzvahs, Rashi says it again. If you don't listen to me, right, means that you have to be amelim b'torah, right, to, to know what the chachamim are darshaning from the, from the Torah. You might have thought this is referring to just doing the mitzvahs, but it's said already. It's already said. Already mentioned. What does it mean if you don't listen to me? Then you have to be a male So If you read these, she's in succession. Uh, that's a lot of text for for a parsha she's so on. Uh, that's on on a podcast, so I apologize. But basically, long story short, if you spaced out until now, if you read these two Rashi's in succession, what do you see? A terrible yet kind of fascinating possibility that it seems that the Torah is dependent on whether Bnei Israel toil in Torah, whether they put effort into um, being Amel in Torah, right? Obviously, keeping the mitzvahs, right? A couple a couple things there. There's keeping the mitzvahs and toiling in Torah. I mean, does that, I mean is that, that's wild. I, mean, I, would, I would say that's wild. Right? Is it even possible to consider that the Tochacha, again, the Tochacha, just to clarify, right? All sorts of terrible, evil things that will happen to Bnei Yisrael. Mothers eating their children, crazy stuff. That's dependent on whether... The Jews are toiling in Torah. You're telling me a guy who works nine to five or learns a little bit of Torah before Mincha Meir, comes to the rabbi's shmooze on Shabbos, is not toiling in Torah, and therefore that's causing the Torah? So maybe, maybe the terrifying answer is yes, and that's what a Kosh Baruch Hu demands. Um, to be totally honest, that's the more terrifying, straight-up possibility. And again, we, it's not so hard to believe, right? We pull all-nighters to study for you know, midterms and finals and work late hours for like projects at work, etc. Why shouldn't we Torah? Why shouldn't we study Torah with the same kind of like effort and dedication? It's, it's, I mean, it's not absolutely insane to think about it like that. Uh, and maybe that's a sobering answer that yes, Torah study is that important and we need to treat it as important as we do uh, our studies in college and our work at work. Um, but I would argue maybe perhaps is a bit more, uh, positive and less frightening approach. I remember when I was in uh, when I was in NYU, I remember a specific instance where I was assigned two 10-page papers at the same exact time, right, simultaneously from the same, in the same semester, from two different pre- professors in two different classes. And for one class, I worked my tail off and ended up with like 13 pages, five extra sources, and probably edited it like three or four times before I handed it in. And in the other class, I literally did the absolute minimum. 
but I ended up with nine pages, including the cover and the bibliography, quoted the literal exact minimum number of sources, and didn't even give the writing a second glance, right? Didn't even give it a second draft, handed it straight in. What was the difference between paper one and paper two? Right? Why, why did I put a ton of effort into the first one? And just basically kind of like was Yotzi Zayin, right? Just, just kind of just, just handed in the second one, did whatever I could. And the answer was simple. In the first paper, I cared about the class. I cared about the teacher. Uh, I cared about the subject. And I put, in ma- I put in maximum effort. For the second paper, I couldn't have cared less. I hated the teacher. I hated the subject. I'm not going to, you know, in case people get insulted, I'm not going to say what, what it was. But uh, it was it was terrible. I was bored, bored out of my mind. That was the, that's the answer, perhaps, the question of the partial. When a person is not toiling in Torah, and, and toiling, I don't mean working, learning 14 hours a day. I mean putting in effort. If, again, just to clarify about the 9 to 5 uh, comment. I mean, if a person is putting in effort right, to go to a shir, right, putting in effort to go to a, to go to Dafyomi or going to the Rabbi Shmuz, so that's already, for him, that could be toiling in Torah. I don't mean you know, that we're talking about the, you must sit and learn 28 hours a day. But if a person is not putting in effort in their Torah, and the Torah learning. So that in and of itself doesn't cause a tochacha, it's just indicative of a greater problem. Right? It's a bigger issue that we don't care. Right? Effort is an indicator of appreciation, of, of commitment. Right? So, you know, so when a person puts an effort into, into studying Torah, when a person is amal in Torah, it demonstrates a commitment to Torah values, to, to the person who is, to the person, to the being who is commanding us uh, to, to kind of in, study these values. It shows how much you care. But if you treat it just like another obligation that you have to just do, just to be yotze, so that's that's a lack of caring. And that perhaps could cause could cause a tochacha. When a kosh baruch is a burden, right, and, and a person's apathetic about Torah mitzvah, so that's when the trouble starts. And this is perhaps something to think about when we finish up Sefer Vayikra, right, and we move on to Sefer Bar Midbar, where B'nai Shal kind of like messed up this kind of relationship so much. That's already a different discussion. Which we'll get to, uh, but we have to think about how much we care, right? How much we're invested uh, in this relationship, in being a yid and being a Jew, and in, in the relationship with our Kodesh Baruch Hu, right? Are we completely indifferent, or are we trying at least, right, to, to pay attention and care more, right? Than uh, and bizocha there for all the brachos in the parsha. All right, last thing um, I'm going to mention uh, is uh, is the tocha. Obviously, we have to mention something about the tocha itself. Uh, and if you read the Torah, not so long, actually. It might be Kedai. The one in Kisavu is much longer. Uh, you'll notice the Torah emphasizes a single word or a phrase. It says it many times. And the phrase is keri. Right? The Pazik says, mi keri. If you walk with me, keri. Valachtemi mi keri. And you'll walk, you walk with me, keri. Valachti afani imachem bekeri. And I will also, therefore, walk with you, bekeri. Uh, Hashem says, Vim sishmuli, if you don't listen to me, mi keri, and you walk with me, bikeri. So Hashem says, bachamas keri. I'll also walk with you with chamas keri, which could be anger of keri, I'm not sure. So what's, what does this mean? What's going on over here? Obviously, many approaches in Rishonim. Let's just let's bring two of them. Rashi said that keri is lashem mikre, right? just lashem of happenstance, random. Right? His language, language is kiselchu arai b'mitzvos. Person makes mitzvos aray, right? Uh, temporary, right? Happening, right? Once in a while, it just happens that you do mitzvos. Right? The Rashbam, right? The Rashi's grandson, actually says basically the same thing. He says b'mikra velo tadir. That's what he explains. That it happens once in a while, not common, not often, right? If you do mitzvos once in a while, not consistently, that's the cause of the tochacha, and that's something that we definitely can relate to because unfortunately, we don't think about the mitzvos 
right? All of us, all of us, myself included, we don't always think about mitzvahs, right? For many of us, right, mitzvahs are just something we just kind of like fit into our schedule, right? We have class at nine, we have lunch at 10, uh, we have uh, lunch at 12, we have a job interview at three, right? We got a movie at seven, and if you get back in time for my you'll see how tired you are, and otherwise you're just diving at home. But again, we have all these things going on in our lives, and, and very often they're not necessarily structured, right, around mitzvahs, they're competing, with mitzvahs, right? We give equal priority to going to class, getting to our job on time, following the Mets, binging this on Netflix, and going out on the dates, etc. And at the same time, right, we have minyanim to deal with, and, and maybe once we have a chavrusa, and or there's a chesed that you go to once. All those things are equal. And again, it's not, not for everybody, but for some people, right, for many of us, all those things are equal. And then if one, those one thing comes up against the other, there's no rhyme or reason, right, why the mitzvah should come first. That's carry. That's when you do mitzvahs once in a while, when they have no real priority right, in your life. Right? When if they come up, they come up, but I'm not going to you know, actively kind of think about it so much. That's the Zagosh Baruch Hu. If that's how you treat my mitzvahs, so that's how I'll treat you. Right? If that's how you treat me, if that's how you walk with me, I'll also walk with you. Right, big carry. Once in a while, I'll show up. If you show up once in a while to minions, I'll show, I'll show up once in a while to help you out. Now, obviously, we don't, you don't need rockets raining down on, on cities in Yerushalayim, not Yerushalayim, Baruch Hashem, but cities in Israel, to, to know that if Akash Baruch is the one taking care of us, and he's only showing up once in a while uh, to take care of our health, parnasa, shiduchim, marriage, children, etc., that's a disaster, right? Obviously, that's not a good idea. There's obviously so many things that can go wrong right, in this world that we need to have the Dishmaya for. If Akash Baruch just showing up once in a while, like we show up once in a while, so that's obviously that can lead to, to many terrible things, and that's naturally how you would end up with the tochacha, because this world can be uh, unforgiving at times. The Orachayim and Rebbein Bechaya have a bit of a different approach. They explain that carry, yes, carry means random, happenstance, but they spin it a little differently. They mean, they, they say that carry means, what Akash Prabhu was saying, that if you walk with me, carry, whatever that is. What does that mean? That means if a person looks at all the bad things happening, or all the things happening, Right? All the regular things happening to us, or and certainly the bad things, certainly the punishments. And you think it's just carry, it's just random, just happens that I got bad luck. It's not a Kosh Baruch Hu orchestrating it behind the scenes, either as a punishment or a, or a blessing or a reminder to mend your ways and do tshuva, etc. If a person just dismisses a Kosh Baruch Hu and Ashkach Pratis and sees things in life as carry, as random, or just like this is how life works, that causes the Tokha. Lashon Lorachayim is. Uh, since all of these makos, he's talking about the, the punishments in the tocha, but I mean, all these things that happen in our lives are things that cause us to feel and recognize Akash Baruch Hu's hashkacha, Akash Baruch Hu's guidance. Akash Baruch Hu is the one who's unfortunately right, afflicting us. And when you don't do tshuva, and there's no, no one who will answer, if a person says these are just random, that's what we're talking about over here. Says Rabbeinu Bachaya and Orachem and Akash Baruch therefore adds on these random happenings. Obviously, in an effort to get us to realize that this is what's going on. It's not, it's not just random. Akash Baruch is trying to tell us, trying to wake us up. So the Tuch continues, right? And Hashem continues to walk with you, meaning He'll increase these things that you're just dismissing, right, as random. <coughs> obviously in, in an effort to, to kind of wake us up, right? Not necessarily as a punishment. They're kind of like, if, if we don't realize that small bad things are from a Kosh Baruch Hu, so unfortunately it has to be so obvious to the point where maybe we will come to that realization. A friend of mine, 
uh, you know, I knew from 20 years ago. I don't really know where he is right now, but a friend of mine, I remember, uh, at the beginning of the 2000s, uh, there was a, a big online poker boom, right? Poker online became a big thing. Uh, and a friend of mine was pretty addicted. He's a very good player. Um, and the uh, problem was, right, and again, to his credit, an unbelievable, again, I remember this because it was so unbelievable. I don't know. I, I wish I could tell him this, man. I'm not going to say who it is in case, like, he's going to be embarrassed. But I, w I, don't, I don't know where he is right now today. But as soon as he would win, and he would win, like, solid money, 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks in these tournaments, whatever it is, he would somehow immediately lose that amount of money some other way. His car would need fixing, or the pipe would burst in his apartment, or, like, something. He would, And it became so obvious that the amounts were so close, so clear, that he gave it up. He gave it up because at some point he, he realized that, again, to his unbelievable credit, that Akash Park was sending him his messages that this is not how he was supposed to make his parnasa, right? He was not supposed to, you know, whatever. Uh, so so he gave it up because he wasn't, first of all, because he, was, he wasn't making anything. He was losing every time, you know, and he and God bless him because he realized that those random things, you might have thought, okay, so a pipe burst, or okay, my car broke down, I need some repairs. No, he realized that the numbers were so even, it became impossible to ignore. And then Akash Park Right, stop sending him those messages because he stopped making those mistakes. So if we ignore our messages and we say that everything is carry, right, just random happenstance, and not a shkach pratis, so then Akash Baruch also, right, and kind of Valachtem carry, right, also increases those quote-unquote random bad events in an effort to get us to believe and understand. The first sort of combines the two pshatim, right, writes along the same lines, that carry that the Jews display is, like Rashi says once in a while, right, meaning that other consider, he writes, that, uh, you know, like, other consideration... Oh, that's... Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have a little piece of paper in front of me. And it's, it's a quote from the translation um, uh, of Refresh, because Refresh wrote his commentary uh, in German. <coughs> so he writes, just to, just to read it, because it's, it's pretty good. And he says, carry means that other considerations determine your way of life. And you leave it to chance whether this brings you into a conflict with the, the mitzvos or not, right? And that's, that's basically what we explained, right? That's, that's Rashi's shot. And then when a car, that happens... Akash Baruch Hu decides that a new policy begins, that I'll also walk with you, Bekeri. Akash Baruch Hu's policy assumes the same pattern, but Hashem walks with them once in a while, and he no longer carries them on eagles' wings, right? You don't know, but Kanfei Nisharim, right? Over all the forces that oppose them in the natural course of events, right? The people's existence, prosperity, are no longer the subject of God's providence, right? People are no longer supported by the miracle, miracles and blessing and protection, Akash Baruch Hu consigns Bnei Yisrael to the natural course of history, right, which does not promote the existence of uh, of, a, of a nation of Jews, right, a nation devoted solely to Torah and Moral values. The Jew, the Jew is then consigned to the natural order of the world. And in this framework, Israel's existence and success do not constitute premeditated or intended goals, but only find a place of aspirations if the nations happen to allow the Jews to have help. Right? If only if other nations happen to be interested in this. And, and as you can tell by current events, and I don't, you don't need to quote current events. You don't, you don't need to know how how quickly that would go south, right? If we left Israel's survival, right, not in the hands of Akash Baruch Hu, uh, but uh, in the hands of the other nations, how quickly the nations would be ready for Am Yisrael to, to disappear. Again, there's a there's something going around on WhatsApp. It's not the it's not from this war, but unfortunately we've had a lot of these uh, where um, there's an interview in Gaza uh, of somehow the terrorists, and I think in Al Jazeera in English. And basically, the, the, the headline was, their God changes the path of the rockets. That we shoot rockets in one direction, and the rockets go off in another direction. And that's the attitude that we have. That it's not the Iron Dome that's protecting us, although that's an amazing uh, you know, scientific and technological advancement that Akash Baruch Hu allowed us to have. But Akash Baruch Hu is the one who is helping the Iron Dome 
do it, or or in some cases, you know, literally doing open miracles, right, to make sure that Am Yisrael stays safe. And this is the challenge. This is our, the challenge put forth, put forth to us in the Torah, right, not to treat the Torah and the mitzvahs as just something we do, but to make it the focal part, right, of our lives, right, to let it determine our choices, right, where we go to college, who we marry, where we decide to settle, where we work, where we send our kids, how we raise our family, Right, and on, and on top of that, not only that, but on top of that, to view the things that happen in our life, right, through the prism, right, of a, of Ashkacha Pratis, to see a Baruch Hu's guiding hand in our lives, not to write off random things to chance, but to understand, yeah, that a Baruch Hu is crafting the story here. <coughs> Hashem is sending us messages upon messages, both with big events and with small events, and that's how we come back to the first story, the story I told at the beginning. But to view that sequence of events that put me, that led me to put that plant down, right, by the garbage, right, at the exact same time when that guy who davened for a plant would be driving through, to view that whole thing as an exercise in Hashkacha Pratis and to realize how deep Hashkacha Pratis and Akash Baruch's influence on our lives go, right? If I, and, and if I didn't see it in the moment, which I didn't, and even if I got frustrated by all those things that happened, so at least to be able to look back and realize that everything was orchestrated for Akash Baruch Hu, so in that moment all your frustrations right, disappear because you realize that Akash Baruch Hu is guiding you for whatever reason towards a certain certain result. So that's what we need to be working towards. That's the premise and the promise of the Tochacha. And if we can get to that point, then we'll be given all the blessings in the world. Amen. Can you also have a tremendous, tremendous Shabbos.